have, uh, you even know what pantheism is? Okay, we have a, a couple. Okay, pantheism, before we even get started, we're going to start with secular humanism, which is atheism, basically. Uh, it's kind of the religious version of atheism. Um, but pantheism is the belief that God is everything, that God is the universe. God is an impersonal force. God is much more like the God of Star Wars, where it's the force be with you rather than the Lord be with you. Okay? Um, yeah, once we run out of chairs, there's little kid chairs, little tiny miniature chairs in the back. I don't know if anybody would want those, but the like in Star Wars was the force be with you, not the Lord be with you. That's the God of the New Age movement. That's the pantheistic God where everything is one and since since uh, man is part of the universe man is God or so they believe and so that's pantheism so just at the outset I want you to know pantheism is the belief that God is everything all reality is one being all reality is God God is all reality and atheism is just the belief that there is no God okay now we're going to talk about atheism first um how many people here are familiar with the uh, Humanist Manifestos 1 and 2? Okay, okay we've got just a few people. Um, Humanist Manifesto number 1 was written in 1933, okay? And uh, Humanist Manifesto number 2 in 1973, and recently Paul Kurtz, who uh, um, wrote the foreword to the second Humanist Manifesto, recently wrote uh, Humanist Manifesto 2000. So these guys are still at it. In fact, my wife and I got invited to University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill campus, for a big, major secular humanist conference with atheist thinkers from all over the world. And um, I was the token theist, the token believer in God, to debate an up, uh, a young, up-and-coming atheist debater. And... Uh, and Paul Kurtz was there, his organization put it together, and that type of thing. But these guys are still out there. And uh, some of their premises are that there is no God, okay? There's no life after death. Only matter exists. There's no supernatural causes, no miracles, okay? And, of course, Jesus was merely a man as far as they're concerned. And, uh, but in Humanist Manifesto, number one, which was in 1933, okay, some of the signers were very key people. Um, the only one I want to mention today is John Dewey. Uh, he is referred to as the father of the modern public education system, okay. Um, the, the curriculum that we find in the public education system, the methods of teaching, okay, it, it, it is not a coincidence that grades are going down, SAT scores are going down. Now, most public schools still, you know, if you have a sharp student, they still have upper-level courses and that type of thing. Um, but in general, it's, 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 the grades are getting worse and worse and worse, and a lot of it is due to John Dewey. John Dewey viewed knowledge not as knowing the truth, um, but in terms of pragmatism, like whatever works, and so as far as he was concerned, uh, knowledge was kind of like doing, 
getting your hands in, in, in things, doing things, activities. And so uh, in America, it's going to get to the point where, you know, we've got kids who are great at finger painting, but can't read or write, can't do math. And uh, But John Dewey understood that to make America a socialistic society, to make it move towards communism, we needed to dumb down the populace. It's easier to enslave people and get bigger and bigger government if you convince them that uh, um, it's good for them. Big government is good for them. It's going to solve all their problems. Um, and so uh, that was Humanist Manifesto number one. They openly admitted they were a religion. Okay? They said the traditional religion is harmful. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Um, that we've got to come together in a one-world socialistic community. And the list goes on and on. But uh, no such thing as right and wrong. Each person decides for himself or herself. Um, there, there are like little kid chairs in that in that room right behind there. So I don't know if anybody wants to pull some in. Um, but whatever the case, um, they considered themselves a religion in 1933. Well, after that point, they began to argue that you need to take religion out of the schools, like in the 1960s, okay? So by the second Humanist Manifesto, 1973, they were no longer claiming to be a religion, okay? And um, so now they, they say, well, if you say that God created the universe, that's bringing religion into the public schools, so you can't say that. Okay, so even though our, our Declaration of Independence says all men are created equal, and our inalienable rights, our God-given rights, are based upon that belief, if you say that in the public schools, you can get in trouble. So, um, uh, but it's really interesting, 1961, the Tercasso versus Watkins Supreme Court decision, they ruled, uh, Supreme Court ruled that secular humanism is as much a religion as religions that believe in God. What the Supreme Court realized was that Buddhism doesn't, certain forms of Buddhism do not believe in the existence of any God, yet who would say that a Buddhist isn't, isn't a religious person, okay? Um, so in other words, this big debate that's going on about should religion be taught in public schools? You cannot teach anything. I don't care if it's math or English. You can't teach anything without teaching some, you know, having the foundation in some type of religion. It's either going to be good religion, i.e. Christianity, or it's going to be bad religion. It could be secular humanism. It could be anything else. Um, but the fact of the matter is we do not... We, in fact, the Humanist Manifesto number one says that mankind is incurably religious. And they kind of recanted, moved from that statement later on, but that's the way God created us religious. We can't get away from religion. So, I mean, we're either going to build our, our, our teaching, our education, on Christianity, or we're going to oppose it with some other religion, in this particular case, secular humanism. By the way, um, as, uh, as we talk about the problems with secular humanism, um, let me just say this. Uh, a, a, very, a very extremely smart carpenter from Nazareth 2,000 years ago said man does not live on, on bread alone. And 
But that's what the secular humanists told us. That was one of the lies that they gave to us, is that only matter exists and man can live on bread alone. We're just physical beings, we just have physical needs, and we don't need the spiritual realm. Okay? Well, most Americans, uh, you know, by the time we took prayer to the public schools, within a decade of that, most Americans were, were starving for some type of spiritual experience. Okay? But a lot of these Americans, though they rejected philosophical atheism, the rejection of belief in God, they accepted practical atheism. In other words, they lived like there was no God. Each person kind of decided what was right in his or her own eyes. Okay? So, uh, Americans were starving for spiritual experiences. Atheism can't deliver. Secular humanism can't deliver. Um, but we want spiritual experiences while still holding to the belief that there's no such thing as right and wrong, I can decide for myself what's right. I can decide what's wrong. Um, it, it really set us up for, for the Eastern religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, and they came rushing over to America with, you know, every street corner had its own guru. And, um, um, and so basically what came into existence, and it was, it was moving in that direction even earlier, um, but the fringe movements became mainstream is what we call the New Age movement today. So before we even uh, deal with the problems of secular humanism, uh, just let me state that in our public schools, the main problem is not that they are teaching secular humanism. That's, that was the old problem. Okay. Uh, now, secular humanism, for the most part, still in, in science classes, you're going to get the old dinosaur, biology professor or chemistry professor that's going to be teaching you know atheistic evolution and cramming it down to students throats but for the most part now it's it's more common to uh, to uh, have grammar school kids uh, um, going through uh, Eastern meditation techniques um, or Native American Indian religious practices and so uh, neo-paganism the return of ancient paganism is, is more like it's, it's filling the va vacuum that was left by secular humanism. But this, this is not the first time that this happened. In in Germany, you know, if, if you read about the all the liberal critics who tore down the Bible and questioned whether Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and uh, whether the Bible's God's word, whether the Bible contains errors. The first place on the planet Earth where scholars started to tear down the Bible was Germany and in the German seminaries. And that's where you train the pastors. So Germany was sending pastors into pulpits and these guys didn't believe. They didn't believe the Bible was God's word. They didn't believe that salvation was through Jesus. And so the Christianity was rejected in, in Nazi Germany and in Germany and that created a vacuum. And what filled that vacuum was a neo-pagan cultic system that we know of today as uh, as Nazism. And uh, there's a lot of people that try to make Hitler an atheist. Hitler was not. Hitler was extremely religious, but he was uh, religious in the uh, very negative sense of the word. He was a neo-pagan. Um, 
even the Discovery Channel did a really good program on uh, not Nazism, the occultic uh, conspiracy, and they showed where the children had to recite in class that Hitler is God, Hitler is Savior, and, and things of that sort. And the German race was divine, somewhat of a pantheistic view, and, and non-Aryans were subhumans and had to be weeded out and removed so that they don't pollute the pure Aryan race, which was now about to enter into a new age, uh, a new stage in its evolution. So, uh, so whatever the case, what I'm getting at is um, we do need a little bit of a mopping up operation with atheists and you know the secular humanists, but they're getting smaller and smaller in number. Atheist philosophy professors are now retiring and being replaced by young neo-pagan or postmodern philosophy professors. Can't get into that too deeply, but basically atheism pretty much is on the way out. It never, um, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, if you reject the existence of the invisible God, you end up bowing down before statues of four-legged creatures. And I used to think, well, wait a minute, we reject God's existence in this country, but we became atheists. It's just, it's just a, atheism is nothing but a bridge from Christianity in the West. Atheism is nothing but a bridge from Christianity, a temporary bridge from Christianity into pagan, a return to paganism. And we are now returning these, these ancient pagan uh, myths. And so, uh, with secular humanism, atheism, they teach there is no God, no life after death, only matter exists, there's no supernatural causes, and Jesus was merely a man. Now, there are several problems with secular humanism. For instance, they have no explanation for the origin of the universe. Okay, we'll start there. Um, the second law of thermodynamics established in the 1850s. Tom Hoyles isn't going to be here today, uh, but Tom Hoyles is an expert on the, uh, the, the second law of thermodynamics. But uh, it basically teaches that even though the amount of energy in a closed system, a system that's not open to receiving new energy from the outside, okay, in any closed system the amount of energy remains the same, but it changes forms, and as it changes forms it becomes less and less usable. So that given enough time, all the energy in a closed system will be totally useless. And that's the way it is with the universe. When scientists look at the universe, they have to study the universe, and uh, assuming that God is not going to intervene from the outside, uh, as time moves forward, okay, the amount of usable energy is running down in this universe. Which means given enough time, if God doesn't intervene, all the energy in the universe will have been used up and the universe will die. But that means if we go backwards in time, we'd eventually reach a point where all the energy in the universe was in a usable state. And that would mark the beginning of the universe. Um, the Big Bang model, I'm not too sure I, I adhere to this, but probably 99 out of every 100 of the world's leading astrophysicists, astronomers, and cosmologists hold to the Big Bang model, which basically teaches that as we go forward in time, the universe is expanding in all directions. If we were able to go backwards in time, the universe would get smaller and smaller, more and more dense, until it would reach what scientists call a point of infinite density or a point of dimensionless space. I'm quoting them. This, this is what they say in their journals. Well, what is a point of infinite density? 
Well, if a point is infinitely dense, and we're talking about a physical point, if it's infinitely dense, infinitely compact, infinitely small, small without limit, that's what infinite is, what that's basically saying is it's a point that's not there. But see, they don't like to say the Big Bang model teaches that at one time the universe did not exist and then boom, it exploded into existence. It sounds too much like Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created uh, the heavens and the earth. Um, so a point of infinite density, but they also say a point of dimensionless space. Well, if we're talking about the physical universe, so a physical point that doesn't take up any dimensions in space, then it takes up no space. It's not there. But again, scientists don't want to say the Big Bang model teaches that there was a time when the universe was not. Now, he's an agnostic. He questions whether God exists or not. His name is Robert Jastro. He was the head of the uh, Goddard Institute of Space Studies at NASA, one of the world's leading astrophysicists. He wrote a book, God and the Astronomers. And in that book, he argued that that at the end of that book he said the scientists have scaled the, the mountain of knowledge, the mountain of knowledge, and when they got to the top they pulled themselves up and found the band of theologians that had been waiting there for them for centuries. And what, what he's saying is, even though Robert Joshua doesn't believe that God exists, the Big Bang model is much more likely to point to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, than it is uh, to atheism. Atheists used to cling to the idea that the universe was always here. It had no beginning, it's not going to have an end, it has always been here and all. And now science, if modern science has proven anything, it has proven through a number of means that the universe had a beginning. But whatever has a beginning needs a cause. You see, you can't, if you have an absolute beginning, you cannot cause your own existence because then you would have to pre-exist your own existence in order to bring your own existence about. That's absurd. So if you have an absolute beginning and the universe did, then something else had to cause you to come into existence. Nothing doesn't qualify as something. From nothing, nothing comes. Nothing cannot cause anything. Uh, nothing is nothing, therefore nothing can do nothing, therefore nothing can cause nothing. Okay. So, because something now is, okay, something has to be eternal because from nothing, nothing comes. I mean, if you had, if you had a long line of something, okay, and then we just broke that line right here and said, okay, now there was a point of time when there was nothing. Since from nothing, nothing comes, you wouldn't have the, the line on the other side. There would be nothing now. If there was ever nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing that existed, since from nothing, nothing comes, nothing would now exist. But something now exists, so something has to be eternal. Okay? Um, but the origin of the universe is very tough for atheists to explain. There's design and order in the universe. They tell us, you know, well, the Big Bang model, you know, this, this big explosion, and it just brought all the order and all the complexity that we find in this universe. And, uh, but they said, you know, it took billions of years, so that's why, you know, we can't observe it. Oh, that's a real easy cop-out. Okay? It's like Dwayne Gish, uh, a great creation scientist, has stated that when a uh, frog turns into a prince, immediately we call that a fairy tale. But when it takes a frog, 
you know, hundreds of millions of years to turn into a prince, we call that good science. Hey, just adding more time isn't going to help you. Okay, you can drop, you can drop confetti from uh, the first floor of a building onto the ground, and it's not going to, it's not going to spell out, you know, Seahawks stink. Okay, <laughs> you could take that confetti if you want more time. Go to the tenth floor and drop the confetti out. It's still not going to spell that out. Okay. Um, now, if you had a um, uh, well-intentioned Raider fan with intelligence, there's not a whole lot of Raider fans with intelligence, but um, who intelligently intelligently designed it and spelled out Seahawks stink, that's plausible. Okay. I mean, if you if you saw if you saw a Scrabble stuff, well, we got letters on the floor right here. But if you if you saw Scrabble letters spelling out, you know, a uh, 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 a message on the floor, Jesus rules. You would s stand there and say, wow, what a coincidence. Somebody dropped these and they just spelled out Jesus rules. Okay? We can see the difference between order and, and chaos. Let me tell you something about the Big Bang model. Evolutionists are always trying to tell everybody that, uh, that they are um, scientific and all their theories are based on science. Okay? Well, let's take a look. If the Big Bang is an explosion, let's take a look at explosions. Let's say that television set over there gives us 22 stations, 22 channels. If we blew it up, would that add a 23rd or 24th station? No. No. You're not going to get any stations. You see, explosions, this is a tough one, explosions take things from a state of order to a state of chaos or disorder. They don't bring order out of chaos. So if they're going to claim that the Big Bang model actually occurred, then from all of the random explosions that we have ever scientifically examined, since ex random explosions lead from a state of order to a state of disorder and chaos, then if this one explosion has led to all the order and all the design and all the complexity that we see now in our universe, then that tells us that there was an intelligent being guiding that quote-unquote explosion. Okay? Um, a single-celled animal contains enough genetic information to fill an entire library with volumes. You can't get that by chance. How many explosions would you need to have in a print shop before out would pop one volume of encyclopedia or a Webster's dictionary. Okay, it doesn't happen. It takes intelligent intervention. Okay? Then when you get to the human brain, the most complex thing we know of in this universe, um, you're talking, you know, millions upon millions of volumes of information. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't come about uh, by chance. Natural laws, just the natural way things occur, natural laws plus time plus chance will never give you specified complexity, the highly complex information found in even a single cell uh, animal. So the design and order in the universe is definitely a problem um, for uh, atheists. You know, and a lot of atheists will say, well, evolution solves the problem because through mutations, okay, um, we eventually, you know, evolved and, and that type of thing. No, 
all mutation does, let's say let's say uh, the genetic code will simplify it, say just the 26 letters of the of the uh, alphabet. Okay, if we take the 20 26 letters, if there were a mutation, it would just garble the order, reshuffle the order. It would not add a 27th or a 28th or a 29th letter. So theologians like Charles Ryrie ask the question, well, where did a single-celled animal get the genetic information for teeth? Because it just doesn't have it. And mutations are only going to garble the information that's already there. It's not going to add any new information. See, evolution is, is, a, is a vacuous word. It's a meaningless word, to be honest with you. See, we Christians claim to know. We don't know. Do you know how God created the universe? I don't know how He created the universe. He's God. How do you create something out of nothing? I don't know how to do that. Only God knows how to do that. Okay? So we don't claim to know the how. But we answer the question with the who. Okay? I don't know how God did it, but I know He did it. Okay? Well, the evolutionist says, look, you don't need to, to make up fairy tales about the who because we know the how. Okay, well then how did it come about? Just through natural explanations, how did it come about? Evolution. Okay, well, how did evolution occur? Well, we're not really sure how evolution occurred, but some of us think it's mutations. But see, the thing is, they really don't know the how. Just because you, if you take a question mark and you erase it and you write in the letters evolution, if you don't know the how of evolution, then evolution still isn't the how. And so they, they don't, we know the who, but not the how. They reject the who, but they don't have a how anyway. So uh, to, to say that evolution explains it uh, is just simply not the question. But the only way to rescue atheistic evolution is to turn it into theistic evolution. The only way evolution could could possibly occur, uh, life evolving from life coming from non-life, multi-celled animals coming from single-celled animals, animals with backbones coming from animals without backbones. Um, the supposed interrelationship of, of, uh, of reptiles, birds, fish, man. Um, the only way these things could occur since they violate known natural laws and natural theories, the only way they could occur, okay, would, and, and go, going from the simple to the complex would be if there was intelligent intervention guiding that whole process. So the only way to rescue evolution is by assuming that God was the one who did it. Problem is, if God used evolution, then I think he could be charged with deception because he covered his tracks. I mean, um, all the supposed evidence in the fossil record for billions of years of life, um, the, the fossil record, just talk to Tom Oyles, the evidence is overwhelming. That is the evidence of a global catastrophe, a global flood. You only get fossilization if you get extremely rapid burial. And extremely rapid burial has occurred on a worldwide scale. You go to the highest mountain ranges on the planet Earth and find fossils of deep sea creatures. So evolutionists say, well, in this, in this mountain range here, um, there was either a tidal wave or at one time this was under the ocean and it just, the upheavals in the Earth's crust and it popped up and stuff like Hey, why do you have to have you know, five or 10,000 of these local catastrophes when you can explain it all with one major global catastrophe, a global flood. 
Um, universal moral laws. Um, the atheist, in, in, in one of the humanist manifestos, I can't remember if it's one or two, I think it's in number two, they say that all human values, all moral values are autonomous. In other words, each person decides what is right for him or her. Okay? A couple paragraphs later, they say that they are for any sexual act between consenting adults. Okay? Now, they're trying to make you think that they're not against anything. Because they just got done saying each person decides what is right in his own eyes. No one else can tell them. But when they say that therefore any sexual act between consenting adults, what they're saying is that they are opposed to someone raping another person because one of the people is in consenting or um, an adult having sex with a child because it's between consenting adults. And I salute them, secular humanists, for being opposed to adults having sex with children and um, for being opposed to rape. Problem is, that's not consistent with their worldview. They just got done saying you moral values are autonomous. See, see, here's what people do, and even Friedrich Nietzsche, um, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, a German atheist philosopher who died in 1900, even he convicted his colleagues over and over again of, uh, you know, it's, it's like you say, God is dead, but then you have to understand that truth, morality, and morality have died with him. It's like he told his friends, look, you took God, you didn't want God, so you threw him off the bridge, and Nietzsche's saying, that's great, because I don't like God either. But what you guys did, you went through his pockets before you threw him off. You said, oh, moral values, we need that. And they put that in their pocket, and they said, oh, oh, uh, absolute truth. Yeah, we need that. And then threw him off the bridge. And Nietzsche said, look, if God is dead, then absolute truth is, is dead as well. There is no absolute truth. And, um, and then moral values are dead. Moral laws are dead as well. Um, and... Uh, but uh, whatever the case, what the atheist does, they go through God's pockets. They say that Christianity is false, the Christian God doesn't exist, but then in order to live a meaningful human existence, they have to resurrect some Christian values. Okay? Um, many of the atheists of the 20th century, some of the... Some of the well, at least... They were moral reformers. At least they tried to make the world a better place to live. But see, that's, that's consistent within a Christian worldview, to try to fight and make the world a better place to live. That's not consistent with atheism. Um, you know, with moral laws, they, in this particular book, I, I give a whole chapter on it, and I, I, I uh, uh, argument for God's existence based on moral laws, but... Um, I'm just going to try to simplify it because we don't have too much time here. When an atheist is telling you that it's wrong for you, for your for prayer to be in the public schools, for Christian uh, views to be shared in the public schools, what he's and you know, and then with his atheism, he believes there's no such thing as right and wrong. What, the, what these people are telling you is, look. It's wrong for you Christians to share your views. Okay? In fact, let's say when we condemn the actions of someone else, it's wrong. 
they'll say, it's wrong for you to call my actions wrong because there's no such thing as right and wrong. Well, if there's no such thing as right and wrong, then we're not wrong when we make our moral value judgments. So leave us alone. See, when a Christian calls someone's actions wrong, that's perfectly consistent with our worldview. Because our worldview, there is a moral law giver, his name is God, and he calls some things wrong. So it's perfectly consistent with our worldview to say abortion is wrong. But when the atheist, I had an atheist tell me once, um, there's no such thing as right and wrong, therefore you shouldn't um, fight to outlaw abortion. I said, wait, 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 wait. If there's no such thing as right and wrong, then there's no shouldn'ts. So leave me alone. You have no say in what I'm doing. What I'm doing is neither right nor wrong because they don't exist. And um, so Francis Schaeffer said it over and over. Even though you reject the God of the universe, you still have to live in his universe. You know, this isn't Monty Hall, let's make a deal. You get to pick the universe behind door number one or door number two or door number three. We only got one universe. It's the one that God created. So you can reject the God of the universe, but you still have to live in his universe. So you can reject Christianity, but you still have to live like Christianity is true. Okay? Francis Schaeffer pointed out time and time again. Absolute truth. The, the, uh, consistent atheists deny that absolute truth exists. Um, you realize the statement, there is no absolute truth? That's an absolute truth, if it were true. So it has to be false. So if there's one thing we can know, it's absolute truth exists. Okay? And then when people might say, oh, well, okay, well, maybe absolute truth exists, but man can't know it. Well, what about the statement, man cannot know truth? Well, if that statement is true, we could at least know that truth. So it's self-refused. So man can know truth. So at least we know two things. Absolute truth exists. Things that are true for all people at all times and all places. Absolute truth exists and man can know it. Okay? And with atheism, if you, when you throw the God of the Bible out the window, I mean, our thinking processes, if they just evolved from primordial soup, what makes us think that our, pre, you know, our thinking processes are nothing but a little... A little consistent game that we play. In fact, the word consistent, what does that mean? Um, it makes no sense in an atheistic worldview. Um, another thing about absolute truth and, and ideas, I asked uh, Dan Barker when I debated him at Bellevue Community College, um, how, much does, how much does an idea or a cho choice weigh? And mo most atheists laugh and say, you can't weigh it. And then, and then you start nailing them on, well, wait a minute here. Are you saying invisible things exist? I thought only material things exist. If invisible things exist, then what, what's the problem with there being an invisible God as the cause of both visible and invisible things? But many atheists will be consistent like Dan Barker. He says, oh, yeah, you could weigh a thought. And I said, are you saying that a thought is nothing but a chemical exchange that occurs inside someone's brain? And he said, yes. And now all through that debate, he'd been trying to disprove God's existence because Timothy McVeigh blew up the Oklahoma City building. And I say, if God exists, how could he allow that to occur? And so what I turned on him was, uh, I said, well then, if our choices are nothing but brain squirts so that we're biologically determined, then we're no more accountable for our actions 
you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold it against you and say, hey, you have a cold. That was really wrong. We should lock you up in prison because you have a cold. No, that was just his body did that, you know? It wasn't, that wasn't, he didn't do that. His body did it. He's biologically controlled. He got a cold. But if our choices are biologically determined, then we can't even hold Timothy McVeigh accountable for what he did. We, we might as well just close down our prisons, okay? In fact, putting people in prison and calling actions evil is totally inconsistent with the atheistic worldview. The only way that they can justify doing something like that is to resurrect, bring back some Christian values. Um, meaning in life. You realize if atheism is true, uh, a million years from now it would make no difference if you lived your life like Corey Ten Boom and uh, saved innocent Jewish lives or if you lived your life like Adolf Hitler and slaughtered innocent Jewish lives. If there's no life after death, if God doesn't exist, there's no right and wrong, then a million years from now it would make no difference. Every person you ever influenced, you can't even say influenced for the good because there's no such thing as good in the atheistic worldview. Every person you ever influenced will have been gone. You, you all have ceased to exist. Everyone you ever influenced will have ceased to exist. Um... So why live like Corey Ten Boom and stand up for what is right rather than living like Adolf Hitler and slaughtering the masses? Um, the atheistic worldview has yet to give a good response to that. Okay? Uh, there's really, life is, the only thing that gives life meaning um, is, uh, uh, you know, the existence of God and God creating man in his image. The human free will, we kind of already touched on that. Uh, human rights. Um, atheists are always fighting for human rights. Let me just say this. In a universe without God, there are no human rights. Okay? If we were created in God's image, then human life is sacred. Human life has value. And we have rights. Okay? Um, and then we should stand up for human rights. But... If we could trace our roots to primordial soup, okay, if we just evolved, okay, then what makes us think we have rights? It, it just it just does not follow. Uh, yet atheists will fight for human rights again because they cannot live consistently with their worldview. Now, another major problem for secular uni uh, humanism is the historical evidence for the Jesus of the Bible. The historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and that Jesus is God. I'll be talking about that in my next lecture. Now, we just have a few minutes to look at Eastern and New Age thought. Eastern and New Age thought, pantheism, is the belief that God is the universe, and since man is part of the universe, man is God. But God is an impersonal force. Uh, so personality is somewhat of an illusion. All reality is one being, the physical world, consistent New Agers, consistent pantheists uh, believe that the physical world is an illusion. Uh, they'll believe in reincarnation, okay? Um, that after you die, your soul then leaves the body and reincarnates some other, takes some other physical form and goes on and on until eventually you escape the cycle of reincarnation. 
Eastern and New Age thought teach that all are already saved, or at least or all will be saved through dedication to a guru, meditation, or eventually just through reincarnation. And then they teach that Jesus is not uniquely God. Jesus is God, but then again, so is Gandhi, so is Buddha, and right on down the list, he's not uniquely God. That's Eastern and New Age thought, or pantheism. Now, some problems with Eastern and New Age thought, it's impossible to share. If you're a pantheist, it's impossible to share your beliefs with others without absurdity. Because you would be saying, look, only one being exists, only one mind exists, okay? So what you'd be doing, that'd be one mind trying to convince another mind that only one mind exists, okay? You're, you're acting as if there's two separate minds that disagree and you're trying to persuade the other mind, but you're trying to persuade the other mind that two separate minds don't exist, that only one mind exists. And, um, you know, if, if you can't live consistently with your worldview, if you can't proclaim it without contradiction, if you can't live it without contradiction, it's time to get a new worldview, okay? And only the Christian worldview uh, can one uh, live consistently with it and proclaim it consistently. Um, another point against uh, pantheism is that it's impossible to live like the world is an illusion. Okay? You realize, if, if, if I were a New Age teacher, if I were a guru, and you were New Agers who came to hear me, guess what? You'd either be sitting on chairs, just like just like you Iwana people are right now, or you'd be sitting on the floor, okay? But if you're sitting on chairs, it implies that you believe in the existence of those chairs, physical chairs, to support your bodies. If you're sitting on the floor, you believe that the floor can support your bodies, okay? Um, if there's a new ager and a Christian are on train tracks and the whistle, uh, a train whistle blows and there's an approaching train, the new ager will flee the tracks just as quickly as the Christian will. Yet it's the Christian who says the physical universe is real. Most new agers say it isn't. Okay? So it's impossible to live like the world's an illusion. I mean, if, if you really believe the physical world's an illusion, stop eating. <clears throat> okay? You stop eating, you're, you're going to die. So just the fact that a person is there to tell you they believe the physical world is an illusion means that they've at least had several meals within the last few days. Okay? Um, no incentive to alleviate suffering. This is why there's so much suffering going on in India. Okay? And why most of the hospitals were built by Christians. And there are, there are Hindus that are out there helping people but they're liberal Hindus. They no longer believe what Hinduism teaches. Okay? Um, see, sir, if you're, if you're suffering, and we're Hindus, we're, we believe in reincarnation, if I help alleviate your suffering, he's starving to death, I give him some food, okay? If I help alleviate his suffering, I'm slowing down his reincarnation process. Because now you have to be reincarnated in the next life to suffer off the negative karma that I took away, dealt with uh, earlier. So you're actually hurting people in the long run by alleviating their suffering. So that's why Mother Teresa had to go and help the hungry and the poor uh, based upon uh, at least a nominal view uh, of the Christian worldview. Um, 
there was no place, no place for that whatsoever in uh, in uh, Hindu thought, and there's not going to be much of a place for it in New Age thought either. Um, so, you know, this whole idea of alleviating suffering is a Christian idea. That's why in Hinduism they have the caste system. Whatever caste you're born into, you can't leave. These vicious different classes. So if you're born poor, you've got to stay poor for the rest of your life. And for someone to help you out of that would slow down your reincarnation uh, process. No, no motivation to be moral. You realize if there's somebody that's really bothering you, giving you a real hard time, uh, you might sit back and say, you know what? Uh, there's no personal God that's going to get angry if I hurt or even you know kill this person. Um, if I remove this person, this person really gets on my nerves. If I remove this person, oh yeah, they might catch me and send me to prison or maybe even give me the electric chair, but I'm just going to be reincarnated. And yeah, I might be a couple steps backwards, but hey, even if I come back as a slug, I don't like this person, and it's worth it. To come back as a slug, if that's what it takes to take this person out, so be it. Okay? Because we're not talking about hell. We're just talking about slowing down the reincarnation process. So, um, so that really the motivation to be moral uh, is removed. No basis for individual rights. How can you have individual rights? You don't have individuals. We're all one. Why, why should I even be concerned about my rights? I mean, the whole concept of individual rights is based on the belief that man was created in God's image. And we were created as individuals. The whole idea that all men are created equal. Okay? There's no basis for that whatsoever in Hinduism. Hinduism, the whole idea of personhood, that which gives value to us, is an illusion. Um ultimate reality God uh, is an it not a he God is more in common with a force like electricity than with, with a personal God of Christianity um, so no basis uh, for individual rights in, in fact the only rights you think about are the world as a whole see you know a a atheists will I mean atheists new agers will give you the idea that it's like well Okay, maybe atheists are, are messed up because they believe man is just a machine or an evolved animal. And you Christians think you got it better because man was created in God's image and therefore given inalienable rights. But we atheists take it even a step further. We believe man is God. We have a higher view of man.